And please be seated. A couple of things I did um, failed to, to mention to you earlier is tonight is going to be a very special service. Actually, we're going to be meeting over in the, the Youth Worship Center. We encourage you to come out. The reason we're going to be meeting over there is because our puppet team is going to lead the services off. Now, brother, Pastor Nathaniel is going to preach after that. But, um, boy, they, they, they have a new team put together, and um, this is the first time they're going to present to the church. Well, actually, gosh, I had the privilege, as well as a few other. We, we got a special invite to, to kind of uh, have a pre-show the other night, and I'm telling you, they did a terrific job. And, um, and so we encourage you to come on, and, and um, we're, again, we're going to do the whole service. They're all of their... Their equipment is over in the, the Youth Worship Center, and so we'll just stay there also. Pastor Nathaniel will be preaching in the, the old sanctuary. Boy, he might get full of the Spirit over there, huh? <laughs> yeah, man. And, um, and so we're excited about that, and we encourage you to come out. It's going to be a very, very, very special service tonight. And so please write that down. Also, next Sunday morning, to let you know, um, Brother George is going to be preaching, and um, George Maddox, our missionary to Honduras, they have been back, they'll, they'll be back, they've been up in North Carolina, Virginia throughout the holiday, and then um, he'll be preaching, him and Kara and the kids will be heading back to Honduras right after that, but it will give you an opportunity to hear, hear George and, and what God's are doing, and then on that, sun, on that night, we're going to be, George and myself and, and, and Pastor Tommy is going to be speaking to you about the possibilities of what we have seen in Haiti that God may be calling us to, and, um, but this is going to take an entire church to come together for the opportunity that, that has presented itself. And we think that you would like to hear that. And so next Sunday will be more mission-focused. But um, God's doing some very, very special, special things. If you have your Bibles, if you turn them to Ephesians, the second chapter, um, as you know, I've been studying through the book of Romans um, over the last couple of weeks before Christmas, as well as um, this week, I'm, 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 ta- I'm taking a, a little bit of a, a step aside from that because of some things that's on my heart. Probably the 1st of February, we'll start back in Romans again because we want to work ourselves all the way through that. I'd ask um, Pastor, uh, Brother Eddie as well as uh, John and Jeannie to, to pull up and, and pull out in the old song, The Family of God, um, over the last few weeks. That thing has just been burning in my heart, and I've been singing it over and over and over again. And I think it's because of what God has had on my heart about as we move into this new year. That one thing that we want to focus on, we've spoken to our pastors about this, I've spoken, I've shared with our deacons about this, that this year we want to focus on, on celebrating the family of God. Folks, it's an important thing that we, we remember who we are in Christ, that, you know, who is our head, but also who are we together. And, and the Bible speaks so much about the church and, and being family. And it also speaks to the, one of the greatest terms of, of ways that we can let people know that we're Christ's disciples is that we love one another. There's an, a great evangelism tool that when, when God's family are excited about what he's doing in their lives and through them. It's also that place where we have an opportunity to serve one another. 
And so we're going to be singing that song, Family of God, throughout this year. It's been embedded in my heart for years. And for those of you that are a little older, you may know that song. We wanted to reintroduce it to you. But also, one of my great concerns is for our younger generation that's moving up, you need to understand the importance of the church and the importance of being part of a body and, and, and being part of a family because we are family here. And I just pray that, that if you're introduced to this song, it'll be better into your heart as well as um, through the Scripture. And because we want you, we, we don't want you to miss that blessing. And we're here to celebrate, folks. Just be amazed of what God has done through us and for us and what he wants to do um, to us. Um, as, as I begin to, to work through some, some passages, Lord, how can I start this out? What can I best introduce this, this brief, brief series on? And what type of scripture? Where do I go in the church? God led me to something that may seem a little bit unusual. It's a very strong doctrinal teacher about teaching about what Christ has done for us and, and what part of his, his work is done. We, found, we find that in Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 11 through 22. In the first chapter, or second chapter, the Apostle Paul was speaking about the, the wonderful, amazing thing that although we were dead in our trespasses of sin, and then there's that great but, but God. And, and, and when you see that in Scripture, it's a wonderful thing. But God, when, when God steps in, folks, everything changes. It's when God stepped in, he took us from death and he brought us to light. He took us from darkness and he, and he, and he, and he brought us into to wonderful light. And how did he do that? Not through what we've done, but what he accomplished. For by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. So that we can give him glory. But then he began to take that and he began to show through the work of Christ how when Christ came and he died for our sins, it was not for only us individually, but by how God was bringing reconciliation to people. Today, we think there's so much racial turmoil, and there is racial turmoil, people against people. But folks, let me explain something to you. It was, it's no worse today than it was in the days of Christ. People were just as prejudiced in biblical times as they are now. People have just as much resentment for one another then as they do now. One thing about it, people's people. And since the fall, people's all have had the same problems. But we're going to look today how God took people that were so separated and he brought them together as family. Folks, I think that is an amazing accomplishment through the work of the cross. And I think it's a wonderful accomplishment when we begin to allow to see what God wants to do right here in Rayford Road Church. I thank God for this church. I think you already do family very well. But I think that we need to work at it and make sure that we work that much harder at it. So let's all stand together and, and let's read together. Verses 11 through 22, as, as Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus. A wonderful letter. I think it's interesting that as Paul was explaining who we are to the Ephesians, that, that, you know, he, that he was saying that, that he has already given us every spiritual blessing. But let's look what he says in, in, cha in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, as we honor God's word. It says, Therefore remember 
that you once Gentiles in the flesh. So he's primarily talking to the Gentile people. And in and, and, and the biblical way of thinking, you, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. You are, you are part of this God's chosen people or, or you are one of them. You're one of those people. And isn't that how we think so much? That when we speak about other people, they're either one of us or just one of them, one of those folk. He said, I want you to remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you were one of those folk. We're called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by the hands. Do, do, do you see the rift here? The Jews are saying, we're the circumcised, but you're the uncircumcised. You're the lowly. You're less than what we are. That at the same time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, again, I love those, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you and were afar off, who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access, access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Folks, that's good news. You're no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the house of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for the habitation of God in the Spirit. Folks, there's a lot in there. Let's pray. God, you just bless this time together, and I just pray that, God, that we might understand what you have done, what you've accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, God, that, that Lord, that, that, God, that you are effectual in what you do. And God, how you can take that which is broken and that which is scattered, and you can bring it back and, and make it even better than, than it was before. So, God, I just pray this morning that, God, that you'd use this scripture to touch folk. God, but most of all, that you might be glorified. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen. I've just always been amazed in scripture that the way that, that God chose to identify himself and the, the analogies that God used to, to speak of himself to people has always been by family. You know that when God, God the creator, God that is not limited by space or by time or, or, or no limits in, in power, perfect in this holiness, 
He did not reveal himself to man as some type of an authoritative, untouchable being. But when he referred himself to man, the, the favorite term that was used is father. It's a term that we can understand. It's a term that, that, that's based on relationship. It's, it's a term that, that um, should draw near and dear to, to each of our hearts. And when God spoke of his children, or spoke to his people, he referred to them as his children. I think it's very interesting that even within the New Testament, this flows. Jesus, time and time again, called his disciples his little children. I think it's also interesting that when it talks about when God renews relationship with man, he speaks of it again in family terms. It was Jesus that used this term, except a man be born again. He should not see the kingdom of heaven. Peter spoke of that as, as when he was speaking to the, the people as he was writing in, in 1 Peter, he was, he was speaking to those of us who have been begotten again into a lively hope. A, a terminology of birth, birth into a family. The Apostle Paul spoke of it in a little different way when he spoke of it. One of his favorite terms was adoption, that we've been adopted into the family of God. But the thing that is clear that when, when, when God reveals himself to people and to his people, he wants to be understood as father. He wants to understand that, that we're a part of his family. Isn't that interesting? A concept that should be very easy for us to, to grab hold of, but also it should be easy for us to be able to begin to understand God and, and in his relationship with us. And what I want us to do as a church is stop and begin to realize what God has done. How God has taken a broken world and broken people with all types of prejudices, all the people that, that, that tries to draw lines between us and them. But God calls all nations. He calls all peoples unto himself. The walls are torn down that we can become family. Folks, that's something that ought to be celebrated. That's something that ought to be excited about. And I just pray that as, as, as we begin to work through the Scripture today and even through this year that, that we, we speak about this, that you will understand who you are and that person that's sitting next to you, who they are, and what's your relationship. But I want us to just take this passage, and I just want us to walk down some things of why we should celebrate of what God has done in our lives and what God has done to bring us together to himself but also to one another. You know, the first thing that we see when we begin to read within this, this Scripture, that as a part of the family of God, and I'm using first person because I, I want this to speak to me. But you know, when I, when I become a part of the family of God, the first thing and foremost thing that I believe is I find acceptance. I find acceptance. 
He speaks these words. He says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh of the hands that, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without Christ in the world. But now Christ Jesus... Now in Christ Jesus, you who are once afar off have been made near by the blood of Christ. The Apostle Paul is making so clear the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he was making so clear to the Gentile people that you are not accepted by the circumcised. You are outside. You are not worthy to come in. And folks, within the heart of every single person, because God created us for relationship, we all want acceptance. We all want to be loved. We all want to belong to a family. And when we are left outside, there's an emptiness hole within us, and there's a hurt that that we may mask, but the hurt is still there. Folks, what Jesus Christ did is he brought me into the family of God. He made me realize I'm accepted. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that when Christ called to reconcile God to his people. First of all, that, that reconcile, I'm, I'm accepted before God. I want you to listen to this verse. If it, why don't you even just turn back? It's just one, one page over in Ephesians, the first chapter. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 6, but the, it's the very end of it that, that grabs you. Where again, in the first, cha- um, in the first chapter, Paul is speaking to, to the Ephesians in his introduction and in, in telling them who they are. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I want to say that as I think about for my children. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my children. And anything that I have that I know that would benefit them is theirs. I don't want to withhold anything from my children. And folks, if I love my children, the Bible says if I love my children in that way, even though I'm evil, how much will the heavenly Father love us? He's not going to withhold anything. And the Bible says he's not withheld anything from those that are his, that that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons. Here's where Paul is using that idea of adoption and that, that, that God has chosen us to adopting to himself. that we're holy without blame before him and predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his wills. But then listen to verse 6. For the praise of the glory of his grace by which we have been, he has made us accepted, accepted in the beloved. It's made us accepted in the beloved, into the beloved, speaking about in the realm, in the person of Jesus Christ that I'm accepted by Jesus, that I'm one of his. That when he looks at me, he looks at me 
as his child. Folks, how precious is that? That there's no wall between Christ and myself, but also that idea of acceptance is also the acceptance with, with, within one another's men where the walls are torn down. There's no more us and them, and we, we will look at that in just a moment. As I think through Scripture, as I was just meditating upon this verse, how many times in Scripture did someone who is unacceptable to the world was accepted by Christ? I think about in John 8, when that woman had been set up and she had been called into adultery and was drug out into the, in the, into the, into the street. And I can't imagine the mocking that was going on and everybody scouring. It was all to set up Christ. What is he going to do in this situation? But that woman whom all those religious folks rejected, Jesus Christ accepted. As a matter of fact, he reminded them, you know, who are you without sin? And, and, and you know, once you cast the first stone, but, but where, where, where he let her know you're good, just go sinning no more. You know, how many of us within this place that, that you know, we've done something that was unthinkable, but through the power and the love and the blood of Jesus Christ, he's made us acceptable unto him. How good is that? Think about the lepers that, that used to have to walk around, and because of their leprosy, they'd have to hide their, their they'd have to stay away from everyone. If, they, if a leper was walking down the road and saw people who were clean walking down the road, the lepers would have to get off the road and keep a distance and have to put, put their hand over their mouth and cry out, unclean. They were the untouchables. But not to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ walked right up to him, and he touched him. You know, there's sometimes that we feel untouchable, that no one wants us around. But Jesus wants all of us around. Because we're acceptable to the beloved. I think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax clerk, publican. He was a, really a betrayer of his people. He was a, he was a, he was a, a Jewish man that, that was working for the Roman government, and he was just um, taking everything he could from the people, and the, and the people hated him, as well as all publicans. They were betraying his own people. I think about Zacchaeus, when he heard about Jesus... I think deep within his heart, there was a longing within his heart that although that he had riches from, from, from the business that he was in and from, from taking everything from the people, he, he, had, he had the money, he had that, but there was still that deep desire to be accepted. And when he heard about Jesus coming down, you know, the, the, the idea that he was a little man, a wee little man, he crawled up into the tree and people were pressing around, but when Jesus walked by, he looked at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house today to eat. And this man that probably didn't have one good friend in the world became accepted by the beloved.
I think about that woman that when Jesus was dining with Simon and the other Pharisees and this woman came into the courtyard where they were dining. A woman of sin, of prostitution. But she came and she knelt down at the feet of Jesus because she felt of all the people she was accepted by him. Even the men were thinking in their minds, doesn't he know who this woman is? But Jesus accepted her. In Jesus Christ, we find acceptance as the family of God. Sam, isn't that good? I heard Sam give his testimony on New Year's Eve. And just weeping and and just saying that from where he used to be, that he would have never thought he'd be in church on New Year's Eve giving testimony. But God accepted you, Sam. Not because of where you've been or what you... He just accepted you because he loved you and brought you into his family. And that's what's so cool about the church, that when, when I sit here and, and I look across this congregation and I see that, that we all come from different backgrounds, we all come from b- different situations within our life, and, and some of us grew up in church, some of us grew up never heard hearing the name of Jesus other than in a, a profane way. Some of us tried to do good all of our lives, you know, thinking that's what's going to please Jesus. And so from a moral standpoint that we didn't stray much, others have just made a wreck. But folks, it doesn't matter because it's not by our morality we come to Christ anyhow. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand that we need to celebrate Jesus because, because when he calls out to us and we are born again, we are adopted into his family, regardless of our pedigree, regardless whether we're Jew or, or Greek, or regardless of whether we're, we're untouchable or we think that we're one of the in crowd, that, that God makes us acceptable into his family. And I just want to say a word that maybe some of this is new to you today. It matters not where you come from to Jesus Christ. He wants to make you accepted into his beloved. And folks, that is just something we need to get so excited about. Another thing that he he refers to in this same passage is not only that, that when I become a part of the family of God, am I accepted, but also I find hope. He makes it very clear that when we're on the outside looking in, he says we're without hope. I think the saddest two words in all the world in the English language that is put together is no hope. No hope. Because in, in Scripture, hope, hope simply means a certain expectation. There's something that I can expect that I know is going to happen. And when I think about it, I become joyful. But apart from Christ, there is no hope. The Apostle Paul makes that so clear within within that writing. And and when he says that, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth and strangers from the covenants of the world, having no hope and without God in this world. Folks, how sad is that? 
No hope. Joe came to me this morning and was sharing with me a conversation that he had with a friend, and they were, they were talking about, you know, eternity apart from God, and, and we, we, we read about the fire and the brimstone and, 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 and just the pain of it, and this friend says, you know what the, even worse than the fire is? Is having no God. Being eternally separated from the living God. No one that you can turn, no one that, can ever, that you'll ever hope that, that things are going to get better for you. And a person that, that lives now that's estranged from God, that you're estranged from the promises of God, that there's no hope for you because hope only comes through Jesus Christ. Where he, Paul had already spoken to him that in Jesus Christ, he's given you every spiritual blessing. Spe- Peter speaks of this as that, that, that being begotten again, he's begotten you again into a lively hope, into an inheritance that's incorruptible. Because no matter how bad things are in this world, that I know that in Jesus Christ, things are going to get better one day. Because my hope is not based upon what I think about it or what somebody else about it. He says our hope is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's made possible because Jesus Christ came. He died for our sins. He took our penalty upon himself. He took my punishment for him. And he paid my price. So my hope is not based upon what I've done. Folks, if it was based upon what I've done, I'm shot. It's based upon what Jesus Christ has done. His perfect sacrifice for me. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, is regardless of whether I was... A man that was that, that had been caught in adultery, or or, or matter matter or matter if if I had just wasted my life and with drugs and alcohol, or or I'd like Zacchaeus and I'd let greed just driven me to the point that that I would hurt other people. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, it says it's settled. You don't have to worry about that anymore. I've paid for that. Forget it. And that hope that was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ is also secured by the promises of God. He says, apart from Christ, you are, you're outside of the promises of God, but folks, when we become in Christ, in the family of God, then we receive all those promises. I was kind of Googling it up and Looked at it, and I just, you know, how many promises of, of God did you find in the Bible? And, and you can get a wide range. One person said, you know, there's 3,557. And, you know, how they come up with that, I don't know. Another person said, there's 5,000. All I can say, folks, God has promised us over and over and over and over again. There are 50 direct references where God himself said, this is my promise. The first promise we find in, in Genesis, the third chapter, verse 15, when, when man had fallen and, and man had tried to cover his own sins and, and God provided the first sacrifice to that innocent animal. And when God was speaking to the people and he was cursing the tempter, he was cursing Satan himself, the serpent, that God gave his first promise to mankind. And that's where he said that the seed of woman 
would crush the head of the serpent. The God was even given a promise then that I'm going to send one that's going to destroy the destroyer. Isn't that good? In a very veiled way, God began to make promises. And you know what the, the last promise that we find in Scripture and in the very last of Revelations where Jesus says, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. Where God starts it out in, in Genesis when, when man was just first introduced to this curse that he had brought upon himself, God made the promise, I'm going to send one that's going to destroy the destroyer. And then he closes it out. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to come again and I'm going to finish up my work. See, that's what the hope that we have. I love, I love that, that old hymn that we sing so often here. What is our hope built on? Jesus' blood and righteousness. I bet you could sing that for me, Miss Dorothy. I bet you could too. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid rock, I'll stand no other ground. All other ground is sinking ground. All other ground is seeking sand. You see, folks, that's what it means to be a part of the family. The first of all, we're accepted into the beloved and, and we're accepted with one another. And then that we have been given what Peter calls a living hope. That regardless of what may be going on in our life, because of the promise of the work of Jesus Christ and the promises of God, I know there's a better day coming for me. Wow. Now, I'm telling you, you, you really don't understand this until you get into a person that, that's living in much trials. A person that is finally, if it's in America, that's, that's maybe facing, facing death through, through sickness. If all they had to focus on is was their condition now, that would be a sad thing. But the idea of refocusing yourself on the hope of Jesus Christ, that God, there's a better day coming for me. We've been in, in mountains in, in Honduras. There was one mountain, I remember us being on, the people were so poor. While we were up there one time, there was two babies. The one, one old pastor had two babies die in one week. Even the young people's teeth was rotted out because all they could do is suck on sugar cane. But they were just as happy of a people that you would have ever met because they were not receiving their happiness from the pleasure of this world because, folks, all they were doing was surviving every day. Their happiness was based upon the hope in Jesus Christ that God's got a better day awaiting me. And so that's why we need to understand that when God brings us into his family, that, that we become accepted and also that, that, that we begin to have hope. And also we find this, that we find peace. Peace. Peace with God as well as with peace with man. Look what he says in verse 14 when he says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And he made that 
and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who are afar off and those who are near. Man. The Bible teaches us this, but our sins have separated between us and our God. Because when we sin, there's that wall that, 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 that comes. And, and even when Adam and, and, and Eve had sinned, that God had, had moved them outside of the garden and outside the gate. That great separation. I think it's interesting that even with the temple, the temple was, 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 was of God was, was built with several different partitions. And the back of the temple was, was the Holy of Holies, and only the, the, the high priest could go one time a year. And then there was a petition that only the priests could go. And then there was another p- a petition that only the Jewish men can go, and then and the women, you're a little bit further out. And then for the non-Jews, there was the court of the Gentiles that's even farther outside. You see, before Jesus Christ, dear friends, there was just these ideas of of these walls that were built between people and man and people with one another. But isn't it funny today we still have those types of walls? That we might not have physical walls between us, but we build up those walls. Because I'm white and you're black or you're... American Indian or Asian, we, 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 we put the, those types of walls of prejudice or, or maybe because um, um, they're the wall of intellectualism or uh, elitism against those that, 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 that does not seem to be as smart as us or the, law, the walls that we put up sometimes because of the haves and the have-nots because of economic standards. Folks, we all, we live in a world full of walls. But when Jesus Christ came, he came to abolish the walls. He came to tear down the walls. You remember when Christ rose from the dead, you know the first thing that the Bible, one of the first thing about that the, the, the veil was rent in two from the top to the bottom, but where, where, where God was saying, there's no wall between me and man anymore. Any man can come to me in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no wall that we can go straight to God. And so Christ is our peace between God and man because because the veil's been torn. But also he torn down the partitions between the two. There's no more Jew or Greek or man and woman. The Bible teaches us that God sees us all as the very same. And folks, that's the good news, especially as we gather together as a church. We're all the same in the eyes of Christ. There's no pecking order here. There's, uh, Brother Johnny's in the very same place you are. We're all seen the same in, in, in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter whether you're a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or you're a little child or it doesn't matter whether you're a person that has, through Celebrate Recovery, and God has done a work in your life and you come in and you, and you had all these years of bad decisions. You know what? You're still seeing, you stand on the same ground as we do. That is what's so cool. All the walls have been torn down. We all, we all are one of those people. And one of those people are simply one of those who are in need of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter who we are or where we came from. Folks, we all need Jesus. And the walls have been all broken down. 
Man, that's so good. That the walls have been torn down, we can find that. But let me just let me just hurry through a couple of more points. We also find access. Hmm. Look what he says in verse eighteen. For through him, we have both access by one Spirit to the Father. I don't have to make a phone call or I don't have to go to some confession asking permission to talk to the Father. The Bible says I have access to the Father. I can go right, the very one that created and spoke the worlds into place, the very one that knew my name before the foundation of the world, I can go straight to him. I have access. I can come, I can come boldly through the throne of grace. Through the work. That's what the, the writer of Hebrews says. Isn't that exciting? You don't have to come and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? And I'll, I'll be glad to do that. And I'm not telling you not to. But you know what? You can go straight to him yourself. You have the same father I do. You have the same access I do. And folks, that ought to be something that's so blessing. Why? Because we all have the same Father. There's one Lord, there's one Spirit, there's one baptism. Folks, there's one Father. And He's given us all access to Him. That's what it means to be a part of the family. That's why we should be so excited, but also that we can find fellowship. And He, he continues on and He says these words. In verse 19, he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. What he's trying to say that you're all part of the family now. You're not outside. You're all part of the family. See, that's why, again, when God is speaking in the terms of knowing Him and who we are together, He speaks of us in family, fathers and children. That's why... You find in scriptures that those affectionate terms, as we heard in the song, that's why we call ourselves brothers here. That's why we call ourselves sisters here, is because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I know if you come outside and, and you've never been a part of church, or maybe you've not come from, from that, but some, some, sometimes right here in, in our fellowship, or if you, if you stay, you're going to hear it. The people will refer to me as Brother Johnny. Say, I, I, that's the way I'd rather be referred to. Or Brother Eddie or, or Sister Alda. And you hear those terms of Sister Dorothy. I remember my, uh, an uncle loved him to death. His, his Uncle Otis, he was my great Uncle Otis Kennedy. Many of you know him. He might have built your house around here. But Uncle Otis was a sweet fella, and I loved him to death. And I, uh, For years I called him Uncle Otis, but one day he stopped me. He said, don't call me Uncle Otis, I'm, I'm Brother Otis. He might be my great uncle by blood, but he, but, or, or by the blood of man, but folks, he was my brother by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's how Brother Otis wanted to be referred. Isn't that cool that we're all brothers and sisters here? 
And I think most people that understands that, understands that although, and I've, I've shared this, although I mean I absolutely adore my family, God blessed me with a wonderful mom and dad, wonderful brothers and sisters, but I can tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ mean just as much to me. I really get to see you all more than the others. That we, we have fellowship, we work together, we, we suffer together, we cry together, we laugh together, but then finally we find our purpose. And, and this is very interesting as I close. And then listen to what he says. He says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom also you being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. He goes and he begins to change the way that, that we're described here, but, but he's really revealing our purpose that, that if you ask most people that, you know, what's our purpose, and, and absolutely you'll begin to say our purpose is to glorify Christ. Whatsoever you do in the, you know, you do, it, do it in the name of the Lord. Whatsoever you eat or drink, do it for the glory of the Lord. But how do you do that? I think we need to go back to the words of Jesus Christ where you glorify Him through obeying Him and worshiping Him. And Jesus kind of told us in the New Testament who we are in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're the salt and light of the world. But how do we be the salt and the light? I think this is very interesting that, that, that what Paul is saying here, what he's here is describing that God has called you to be his temple. God has, in, in, in the biblical times, there was a temple located there in Jerusalem and, and people would gather to the temple and that represented the presence of God. But, but, but post-resurrection... He makes it clear that we are to be his temple, that our cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Why is that significant? Because, Janie, because you're a part of the family of God, God dwells in his holy of holies within your heart. And no matter where you go, God's presence is there. And Mike's presence is there. And Gladys' presence is there. And so God, in his wonderful way, he has, he has made us his light bearers by coming and dwelling within us. And so we can shine his light and we can do the work of his salt no matter where we go, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's on the playground, that wherever God's family is, God is there in their midst because God is dwelling within you. He is making us his temple. Now, how privileged is that, that the God of all creation through His Spirit has come to dwell within us, and He calls us His temple. And so therefore, as the family of God at Rayford Road Church, through the blood of Christ, regardless of who we are, regardless of our background, God has made us all brothers and sisters. We all have access to the Father. And God has filled us all full of His Spirit, and He dwells within us. So when we leave this place, and we go out into our homes, into our workplaces, into the world for which we live, 
we're taking our Father with us. And we're taking, uh, taking Christ with us that we can tell the world what a wonderful family we have. My prayer, my desire is that through Rayford Road Church that God would do such a work within us. He would so excite our hearts. You know one thing I, I realize? When something's good's going on in somebody's life, they want to tell others. And when God is doing a work within His church and then people are excited about what Christ is doing within the family at Rayford Road Church, you're excited to go out and tell people, let me tell you what God's doing to me. And you begin to light up the world around you. Folks, we're part of the family. And I just pray that this year that we can just make you understand what Christ has done for you. Now in closing, I say this. There may be someone here today that, that you've always felt like you were on the outside. Maybe you think that through your life that God couldn't forgive someone like me. No, through the blood of Jesus Christ, He's come to cleanse us from all of our sins. He came to die for someone just like you. As a matter of fact, today, He may be calling you to Himself and says, Come, come unto me, all you that are heavy and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'm inviting you to come and part of, be a part of the family of God. How do you do that? You recognize your need, recognize your sin, and also recognize the only one that can... That can Forgive you of that sin is Jesus Christ who is crucified for your sins. I'm asking you to come to Jesus today. You may be here today. You've been born again, but you're not really part of a local church. You know that in the Bible, the Bible, the New Testament does not even understand that because everyone that was born again in the New Testament were attached to a church because we're a family here. You need to be a part of a Bible-believing church. And maybe you think that Rayford Road is where you need to be. Then you need to come and you need to make you a part. You need, because there's places you need to serve. You need to be held under accountability. You need fellowship with the, with the brothers. I invite you to come. But you may be a church member here today that you just want to come and say, Lord, I want to praise you. I want to praise you for giving me access, for making me acceptable, and, um, and bless me for what, I've, for what you've done in my life. And that's what we're going to have is in just a moment as Brother Eddie and Sister Tonda comes. We're going to have a, a time of invitation. If the Holy Spirit speaking to your life, I invite you to come. Let's pray. God, bless this time, Lord. Use it for your, your glory. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And God, bless this time in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I ask today, has the Holy Spirit spoken to your life? If he has.